0: Today, we are going to learn the seven ways to trust God in difficult times. The seven ways to trust God in difficult times. And I'm going to treat part one because it's quite extensive so that I continue next week. It's going to be in two parts. The seven ways to trust God in difficult times. Praise the Lord Jesus. I would like to take advantage of this opportunity to say a big thank you to the great Citadel family, um, the sons and daughters, the council members, the partners, and all our loved ones and well-wishers for um, the great honor um, last Sunday and even on my birthday. Um, God richly bless you. I really appreciate and love you all. And I pray that God will give you long life, For every honor you bestowed upon me, I pray that God will multiply it and double it unto you. May God open doors for you and may God cause you to go into places you have never dreamed about. In Jesus' name, amen. Seven ways to trust God. Seven ways to trust God. This is a very important subject because... Um, we are in very perilous times. We are in very difficult times. And one of the things that I've been praying about is that God will give me a word that will be relevant to the people, relevant to his people, and a word that will be in season. And as I was preparing, the Holy Spirit gave me this word. And so it's a word for you. It's a word that um, has been prepared from heaven to bring you hope, to bring you faith, and to deliver into your hands a strategy by which you can maneuver through the difficult times uh, that the whole world or the nation is going through right now. Seven ways to trust God in difficult times. Um, A man came to me, I think yesterday, came home and we had a discussion and um, he was telling me about Price hikes and telling me about how the dollar is rising, and telling me about how things have become within a short period of time, how it's affecting his business, and how things are so difficult. And uh, one of his concluding statements, which was a question, was that, Are things going to get better? And he asked me, He asked me whether I foresee that things are getting better, or would things get better? Now, The reason why I'm bringing this to your knowledge is that um, I'm not saying that I'm not aware of what is going on. I'm fully aware because though I'm not of this world, I'm in the world and um, I I get the feedback so I know what is going on. So I think that this man was trying to um, find a certain assurance from me seeing that I'm a man of God. He wanted to find out what God thinks about this whole situation and whether God has a plan or agenda. Um, So I clearly understood him from where he was coming from, um, seeking answers, seeking a certain um, word that would give him hope because I noticed that the man was really down and uh, was really discouraged about what was going on. And that's what brings our mind to this subject of trusting in God learning to trust in God. Learning to understand that trusting in God is not just something we do. It's not a mental exercise. It's not something we do to console ourselves in difficult time. You know, sometimes you meet Christians and you ask them, how are things going? Are things better? And then the response is, I am trusting God. And what they mean by that statement is that um, they have consoled themselves with the knowledge that God exists, you see. And many Christians stop there because for many people, they conclude that, well, I'm not dead. So because I'm not dead, I am trusting God. And so because I'm trusting God, I know that uh, things will get better someday, you see. That's a dimension of trusting in God. That's a dimension. For many people, trust does not deliver results. For many people, trust is just um, a certain consolation. It brings you a certain hope. It makes you feel happy in a difficult situation. But going through scripture, you'll notice that trust delivers more than hope. Trust delivers more than hope. Trust delivers tangible results. Praise the Lord Jesus. Trust delivers tangible results. And um, let me give you a few examples. Daniel was told not to pray. It was his trust in God that compelled him to pray. Now, when he prayed, he faced the replication of that prayer. They put him in the lion's den. But the Bible says that he escaped from the lion's den. He was not consumed by the lion. Now, that is the effect. You see, a deliverable that happened to a man that trusted God. So, trust is not just having a setting hope. Trust delivers unto us tangible manifestations and results. That's what I'm bringing your mind to. Another example is the three Hebrew boys. We all know that story. The Bible says that they were asked to bow down to a graven image in the book of Daniel. But the Bible says that they said we will not do this. And the Bible said the fire was increased. And then the man that was pushing them into the fire was even consumed by the heat of the fire. Now, the Bible says when they trusted in God, when they trusted in God, instantly there was a fourth man that was walking with them in the fire. And the Bible says that that trust that they put in God delivered them. That same day, they were delivered from the fire. So that's another example of how trust can lead to instant deliverance. Now, let me give you another example. Um, Abraham had crossed the age of giving birth. He was 100 years. And then God gave him a promise that he can give birth. And the Bible says, the Bible uses a certain expression. The Bible said that Abraham hoped against hope. In summary, Abraham put his trust in God concerning the word he had given him. And the Bible says that Abraham was able to uh, impregnate his wife, Sarah. And Sarah was able to take seed. So trust, from the examples I've given you, has tangible manifestations and results. Trust produces supernatural results. That's what I'm, I'm trying to bring your mind to. Trust is not just a consolation. Oh, I'm believing God. Oh, I'm trusting God. Oh, I'm trusting God. No. Trust in God produces tangible results. Now, let me give you another example. Moses got to the Red Sea. He was being pursued by the Egyptians. And the Bible says he cried to God. Because Moses had no one but God. And when he cried to God, the Bible says that God spoke to him and said, stretch the rod over the sea. And when he had done that, the Bible said the sea parted and they walked on dry land. So that's another evidence that trusting in God delivers instant results. Instant results. So what I'm bringing your mind to is the fact that trust in God is a strategy. It's a spiritual principle that God has given to men to help men get delivered or to help men see the manifestations of God in their life. It is not just a consolation, but trusting in God has divine manifestations and expressions in the life of the people who trust. What then is trust? Trust is having a firm belief in the truth, reliability, and in the ability of someone Write it down. Trust is having a firm belief, having a firm belief, an unshakable belief, an unwavering belief, having a certain confidence in the truth, in the principle, having that firm belief in the ability of someone else. So when we say you trust someone, it means that you believe in their ability, their ability to deliver, their ability to help, their ability to protect, their ability to help. So trust connotes ability in the, or confidence in the ability of another person. That's what trust is about. So when you trust someone, it means that you believe that they can help you. You believe that they can provide for you. You believe that they can heal you. You believe that they can deliver you. It means that trust delivers unto us many things, many blessings. Praise the Lord Jesus. And that's why trust is very significant. Now, we as human beings have been created as entities of trust. God has put what we call trust in us. Because without trust, you cannot engage. Trust is the thing that helps us to engage other people. I mean, if you are going to uh, make friends with people, you need to establish trust. If you are going to be able to, you know, work with people, you need to establish trust. So in every human being is the element of trust. Trust is given to us by God for us to be able to engage. It helps us to engage. Without trust, you cannot engage. But then God is telling us through scripture that trust must be in him. And then number two, from what I've shared, trust has deliverables. And so it's very important that you put your trust in God in order to receive the deliverables that come as a result of trusting in God. Let us look at Romans chapter 10, verse 11. The Bible says that, As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So right here, we also see that when you put your trust, remember the definition of trust is having a firm belief in someone, in their word, their principle, in their ability. So the scripture says anyone who believes in God, in God, will not be put to shame. So putting your trust or placing your trust in God delivers you, exempts you from shame. So one of the divine strategies given to man to avoid shame is to place your trust in God. So from this, you begin to realize that trusting in God is actually a strategy that exempts you from shame. Let us look at another scripture, Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah. Now, it means that the trust that has been given to us, we can channel it into things. We can channel trust into things. But that's not the purpose of trust. Our trust is supposed to be placed in God. Placing your trust in God is an act of will. It's something that you must carry your trust. Because every Christian has trust. Every believer has trust. With trust, we are able to engage, whether humans or spirits. But the psalmist is saying that some have chosen to put their trust in chariots and others in horses. But then he says, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So this is telling us that trust must be placed in God. Now, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 to 6. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 to 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and you'll make your path straight. So when things become difficult, when we go through difficult times, we should understand that our trust, the place of our trust is what will determine where we will find ourselves in that difficult situation. Where you place your trust is where your faith is, is where your belief is. Who you give your trust becomes your God. Who you give your trust becomes your God. Because trust delivers unto us blessings, help, opportunities, and advantage. So it's very important that we understand that we need to intentionally place our trust in God, especially in difficult times. What it does is that with our trust in God, we have engaged God to deliver us from that difficult time. If you put your trust in the government, the government is designed to fail. If you put your trust in man, man is designed to fail. God is the only one designed not to fail. So the place of your trust is the place of your refuge. The place of your trust is the place of your stability. When your trust is in God, you are assured that regardless of the storm, regardless of the shaking, regardless of the economic hardship, you are assured that that trust that you are placing in God will deliver you from the situation. Hallelujah. But if your trust is in the system, when the system goes down, you are going down. Because the place of your trust is the place of your stability. is the place of your refuge. So where you put your trust is very important. And every man has a trust somewhere. But God is telling us, bring your trust to the place of God. Put your trust in God. Hallelujah. Now, the struggle for many people is, how do I trust God? You know, many people say, I trust God. But really, they don't trust God. Because it's not really about what you're confessing. It's about knowing how to trust in God. There's a way to trust in God. There's a legitimate way to trust in God. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to take the first three steps. First three steps on how you can trust God. Steps to trusting God. Three ways by which you can trust God. And the next week, I'll take you through the four other ways by which you can trust God. Hallelujah. Now, the first way to trust God is to trust God by knowing who he is. Trust God by knowing who he is. If you are going to be able to trust God in a difficult time, in a complex situation, in times where everything is failing, you know, and you know, difficult situations actually reveal the capacity of men and where they have actually placed their trust. David said, yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a very unpleasant situation. He says, yet I choose to fear no evil. That means that he's constant in his resolution. He's constant in his conviction. He's constant in his faith regardless of what he's going through. Many people change with the changing scenes of life. It's an indication that their faith is not grounded in God. You know, The wind blows upon us to reveal the strength of our faith. And that's why every Christian will be tested. The test reveals the actual capacity you have in terms of your faith in God. And that's why the book of Proverbs says that when your strength fails in time of adversity, then your strength is small. You have small strength. We have people with weak faith. And you need to understand that you cannot go far in God Until you are able to stand the test of time. In a difficult situation, what do you do? What do you confess? How does it affect your attitude towards the word of God? How does it cause you to be more faithful to God and the things of God? Or how does it draw you away from God? That's what shows where your trust has been all these years. If your trust was never in God, things can move you away from God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the storms, they come to reveal where our trust actually is. Because on a good day, it is easy to say, I trust God. Meanwhile, you may have been trusting the goodness of God. Not God, the God of the goodness. But the Bible says some believe in chariots. We are not to believe in chariots. Chariots are produced, they are given to us by God. Horses are given to us by God. But the Bible says don't put your trust in them. When you lose the things that, that are, 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 you know, have been added to you by God, how you behave exposes where you have actually placed your trust all these years. If times become hard and it affects your church attendance, it means that your trust was actually in the things that God was helping you with. So your trust was never in God. But in difficult times, if you remain constant... He said, "Here do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For God is with me. God is with me. The times may be difficult, but God is with me. You see, if you have God, you have everything. For God is with me. Christians must be able to boast in the fact that God is with me. I may not have the resources I anticipate, I want, but God is with me. I do not fear the rise of the dollar because God is with me. I do not fear the, uh, you know, the rise of commodities in the market because God is with me. You know, the Bible talks about an event like that in the life of um, Elijah. The Bible said that he was living in a time where things were difficult. There was, there was a, a big drought and God sent him to a brook, a brook of cherith. And the Bible said that God sent ravens to feed him. Because when you learn to put your trust in God, the supernatural becomes normal in your life. So by placing his trust in God in a drought season, God began to cause supernatural manifestations that Elijah was not used to to happen in his life. And that's what happens to you if you have actually been able to put your trust in God. So the Bible says, ravens began to feed the prophet. And ravens, according to research, are the most selfish birds among all the birds in the animal kingdom. They are the most selfish. To the point that ravens hardly even feed their young. You know, when you read the story of Noah... The Bible said that when uh, the flood ceased and the, the water ceased, Noah sent out a bird. You know, that was a raven. And the raven went out first and did not return. That shows you the mentality of such birds. They seek their own. They don't care about any other person. They don't care about any other person. The dove returned with a proof that there's life out there but the raven went away. And God could use this raven to consistently feed the prophets. Why? This happened not because the raven is a good bird. This happened because the prophet Elijah has learned the art of placing his trust in God. There's something that is delivered unto us when we place our trust in God. And there's something that is denied us If our trust is not in God, you can actually see the manifestation of God in our life based on uh, where we have put our trust. So the things that are happening in your life, you ask yourself, where is my trust? If things are happening in a certain way, you should be able to ask yourself, where have I placed my trust? If your trust is not in God, you go down with the system. You go down with the system. So the first way to trust God is to trust him by knowing him. Now, you cannot trust someone that you don't know. For example, if two people came to your home and you were traveling, your friend and a total stranger, and you were asked to leave the home and everything in the home for one person, you would obviously choose the friend. Why? You chose him because you know him. So you see, knowledge always precedes trust. You cannot say you trust God when you don't know him. Many people claim they know God. They, they claim they trust God. But you see, they have bypassed the protocol of knowledge. Because our trust works effectively in the place where there is knowledge. If you are asked to leave your money with someone, you first want to know the person before you can trust your money with the person. I hope I'm complicating to you. So you cannot just say, I trust someone. Trust works with knowledge. Now, let me show you that from Scripture. Psalm 9 verses 10 says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So the psalmist is breaking it down that the people who trust you will first know your name. It means that knowledge precedes trust. Where there is no knowledge, there cannot be trust. We trust the people we know. That's why God encourages us to know him. The Bible says they that know their God. You see, they will do exploits. The more you know God, the more you can trust him. The more you know God, the more you can trust him. The second question is, how can you know God? Because John chapter 4 says that God is a spirit. So, how can you know God? I'm going to show you how you can know God. You know God by knowing his name psalm 9 verses 10 you know god by knowing his name he says and those who know your name he did not say and those who know you will put their trust in you because you cannot know god except you start knowing him by the attribute he has given humanity through which we can know him are you following at all So he says, those who know your name, the first point of call when it comes to knowing someone is their name. When two people meet and they want to build trust, the first thing is they introduce themselves by their name. You start knowing people first by their name, not by their favorite food, not by where they work, not by the money they have, not by the power. The first time you meet someone, the first thing you do is, my name is... May I know your name? So we know people starting from their name. If you don't know the name of God, you can't say you know God. So the Bible says, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. (laughs) Because names carry the identity of people. Names carry the purpose of people. Name help you to easily know people. The Bible says that Abraham was called Abram. Abram means the father is exalted. The father, God, is exalted. And then when God wanted to shift Abram into a new dimension, he changed his name to Abraham. Abraham means the father of many nations. Or in Hebrew, it means the father of multitudes. Because names send you into the direction of purpose. God changed the purpose of Abraham into a man that is going to birth all nations. And that began with a change of name. It means that a person's name is who he is. So if you don't know his name or her name, you don't know him. Let's say you went out, you made a new friend, and you came home, and you know the favorite food, you know this, and they ask you, Who is your friend? You say, I don't know the name. You see, you don't know your friend. Because we know people starting from their name. The word God is not the name. It's not a name. It's not a name. People say, I know God. You don't know him. The word God is not a name. It's a title. That's why there's a smaller version of it given to other beings. Because the word God, let me show you. The word God means a supernatural being who is worshipped by those who have faith in him. You see? So, God can mean anything to anyone. Your God is not someone's God. But the general word is God. It means that God is a title that encapsulates a being that people deem as they are supernatural being. So for one person, a god is a tree. Another person, their god is a river. Another person, their god is the hurricane. Another person, their god is the moon. So God is not the name of the one we serve and worship. It's a title which is given to supernatural beings that operate in that class. That's why the Bible says, among the gods. Who is like unto thee? (laughs) So, he's not the only one who bears that title. There are others who bear the title. So, it's not an exclusive name. It's a description. So, what is his name? Our God revealed his name to Moses in the book of Exodus. And the name he revealed to Moses was the name Yahweh. The name Yahweh. That's his name. That's a name that cannot be given to a river God, cannot be given to a sky God, cannot be given to a hurricane. It is unique to the one, the God of Israel. He's called Yahweh. So you try to know the meaning of God. If you can know the name of God, you can trust him easily. If someone came to you and you know, said, my name is Thief, Though he looks gentle, you cannot trust him. Because the name has given you a certain indication. So the moment you want to know a person, you start from his name. What is the name of our God? Not God, but our God. His name is Yahweh. He has a name. Now the meaning of Yahweh is what will induce trust in him. You know, many people don't know this. And that's why they think God is like the others. And that's why people cannot trust him. The reason why someone will come to church, worship our God, and have the audacity to go to a river and worship another God is that they think that they are all gods. But the day you will know the name of this God, you will know that he's incomparable. And that's what will induce trust. Among the gods, who is like unto thee? Who is like unto who? Unto Yahweh. Yahweh means one that brings everything into existence. One that brings everything that exists into existence. It means that the word Yahweh, when you say Kwame, it means Saturday born. When you say Yahweh, it means One that is responsible for producing everything that you see. Everything that exists. One that controls everything that has a name. So our God is Yahweh. Hallelujah. Our God is Yahweh. So when you know that he is Yahweh, the source of all things, the source of all creatures, the owner of all beings, then it becomes easy to trust him. He's not just a God, he is Yahweh. He is the one that all gods submit to. He is Yahweh. Praise the Lord Jesus. So he says, Psalm 9 says, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. So when you know that he's called Yahweh, you put your trust. Because you cannot bypass Yahweh and put your trust in any other God. So the first step that helps you to trust God is to know his name. Hallelujah. Is to know his name. Jesus said in John chapter 17 verse 3, He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that means there are other false gods. So, if all you know is that he is a god, you don't know him enough to trust him. Because other gods fail, but he cannot fail. That knowledge solidifies your trust. You know, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. But this one is the master of the other master. He's Yahweh. So, knowing his name solidifies your trust in him. He brings into existence whatever exists. Whatever exists, he brought it into existence. He's the master of all things. He's the master of all things. So when you put your trust in him, you have put your trust in the one who owns all things, who controls all things, who presides over all things. Hallelujah. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is our God. God. Hallelujah. Yahweh is our God. So you know God by knowing him. And you know him by knowing his name. Number two, you can trust God by knowing his promises. The second way by which we trust God, that will help you trust God, is to take your time and know his promises. Trusting God is a deliberate process. You need to go through these processes. You cannot tell me you trust God when you don't know any of his promises. Because trust is induced by promises. And this is why, you know, when a politician wants to win the attention of the citizen, he campaigns with promises. You see, promises have a way of engaging your trust. You see, the trust is in you. But the one that makes the greatest promise is the one that appeals to your trust. So even if a young man wants to marry a young woman, if he doesn't go by the protocol, the principle of promises, another person who comes with the promises wins the heart of the young lady. When there's a promise, there's a trust. When there's no promise, there's no trust. So, you see, you build your trust in God by knowing his promises. You know, sometimes you are coming to church. You are serving in the house of God. You are doing all these things under compulsion. Because you have not finished your soul with the promises of God. And that's why, you see, midway you can just give up. Because you cannot keep trusting who has not promised you. But even if someone promises you and they don't deliver the promise you will still follow because of the promise. That's why God engages us through promises. Politicians get our votes through promises. And even when they fail, if they are able to come up with greater promises, we will still give them our vote. (laughs) That's how man is designed. Man is designed to trust where there is promise. So, you can trust God when you know his promises. When you don't know his promises, and all you know is the economic situation, all you know is the dollar is rising, all you know is fuel is going up, all you know is plantain price, indomie price, egg price, chicken price. (laughs) You can't trust God. You behave like you are trusting God, but you can't trust God. Because your knowledge, which will make trust fruitful, must be in the promises of God. So when things become difficult, you must search the scripture. What has God said? In order to maintain your trust in him. Because trust is volatile. Trust swings from one extreme to the other. And that's why you can have someone that trusts in God. And in another instance, they have lost their trust in God. check your heart and find out where is your trust. It will be in a place of promise. So you must consistently furnish yourself with the promises of God in order for you to keep trusting him. The reason why many people despair, many people give up is that they are forgetting the promises of God. When you forget the promises of God, you operate in envy and jealousy. You begin to Operate in discontentment. You see, you are in church, but you don't believe that God has a plan for you. And it is because there's a missing link of your knowledge. There's a knowledge gap in his promises. The one that trusts God is the one that is able to tell you ten promises of God off-head. That means that their eye is fixed on God. So promises finishes our trust. Hallelujah. The moment your trust in God is going low, check the amount of promises of God that is in your heart. Let me give you maybe seven promises of God. Number one, God has promised that he's with us. Number one, I am with you. It's a promise. I am with you. This can be found in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. It says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Wow. You know, by the time you read this, your mood changes. He says, fear not. What should you not be afraid of? The dollar rise. The food will increase. He says, fear not. What makes you not become afraid is the promise. The promise of God is the anchor. A child of God must have promises at his fingertips. In order not to move away from trusting God. I am with you. Number two promise of God says, he will not allow difficulties you can't handle to come your way. He will not allow difficulties that you can't handle to come your way. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. So God is saying that what you are going through is common. You see, the way the media is publishing the thing, the, the way the media is exaggerating the thing, God is not seeing it that way. He says, I have allowed it because it's a common thing. So when you see that dollar is rising, the dollar rise is a common thing. You will not be afraid. Hallelujah. You will not be afraid. He says, but God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? But with a temptation will also make the way of escape. He will make a way of escape. That's a promise. He will not reduce the dollar. God is not playing economics with us. He will not reduce the dollar. But he will make a way of escape so that the rise of the dollar will not put you down. <laughs> That's a promise. So what you look out for is that way of escape. Praise the Lord Jesus. He says that you may be able to bear it. You will be able to bear it. That's what God has promised. You know, I read a post on the internet and, Public figure said, these days when you write, "Hmm," on your status, people don't even ask, is everything okay? (laughs) People don't even ask everything okay. (laughs) You know, put your trust in God. Hallelujah. And hinge your trust on the promises of God. God says you'll be able to bear it. Hallelujah. Number three promise of God is that God will work all things out for your good. Wow, I love this. So whatever is happening is working for my good. It's working for the disadvantage of the world. But for the child of God, the dollar is working for my good. Hallelujah. That's what God says. So why should I be discouraged when actually it is working for my good? You see, in the days of Noah, the flood was working for the disadvantage of the people who were rebellious. The same flood, the water was drowning people, but the same flood was elevating the ark. It was giving them a cruise. It was giving them a cruise. They were enjoying because of the water and others were dying because of the same water. That's what God means by it is working for your good. Romans 8 28. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. So if you love God and your trust is in him, everything happening is working for your good. So you walk out with full confidence. This price increase is not bringing me down. It's going to lift me up. It's going to elevate me. It's going to create opportunities for me. It's going to give me creative ideas. It's going to give me business ideas. It's going to help me win more souls. It's working for my good. So, we don't join the world to complain. We join the same to celebrate God. Hallelujah. It says, Those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Number four, God's promise provide our needs. God has promised to provide our needs. Matthew six thirty one 31 to 32. It says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Some people are saying, Well, because things have gone up, how shall we survive? <laughs> God, is, God has promised you. He hasn't promised the whole world. But he has promised his children. Do not say what shall we eat or what shall we drink. Someone was telling me, water has gone up to. Hey, then what shall we drink? <laughs> I said, is that so? The person was telling me, you don't even know the price of water. You don't know the price. I said, what am I doing with the price of water? My God shall supply my need. You walk with the consciousness that God has promised me. You know how a young lady is so sure when a young man tells her that next year i marry you. That thought controls her life. When the young man even travels, he knows that he will, because of the marriage he will come back. You cannot change their mind. God has promised to take care of us. Let them increase cassava to 2,000 CDs per year. Per one, God will provide cassava for us. The promises of God, they facilitate trust. When you don't know the promises, you become afraid. He says, what shall we wear? Then he says, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles behave like that. Hey, what shall we do? Sack the president. Sack the finance minister. You see, your confidence is still in man. The other person coming, is he a human being or angel? <laughs> the solution is not in a man. The solution is God. You know, we will begin to see progress when we channel our trust into God. Bible said the arm of flesh shall fail. What is happening to us is because we put confidence in someone. God is speaking to us. We have to stop blaming that someone and start with Blaming ourselves. Hallelujah. Yeah. What happens to you is a feedback of where your trust is. When you put your trust somewhere, you get feedback from that place. Number five, God is our strength. He has promised us that he's our strength. Isaiah 40, 29, says he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Our strength is not coming from the gym. Our strength is coming from God. Hallelujah. Number six promise, God will not leave us nor forsake us. Do you feel down? Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel like no one loves you? Do you feel like no one cares about you? Sometimes in the crowd, you can even feel lonely. In the crowd, you can even feel rejected. There are multitudes of people, but you are walking like alone. You don't have anybody. You are feeling like that because you don't know the promises of God. And when you don't know the promises of God, life becomes so narrow. He says, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. Say, my God will not leave me. Say, my God will not forsake me. That's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. He did not say, your money will not finish. He said, He, God, will not leave you. <laughs> it means your money can't finish. I mean, look at Jesus. He was working with the disciples and their money finished. And the soldiers came. A uh, whole oh, Jesus with the 12, all of them, nobody has money. Imagine. A uh, whole oh, Jesus and his people, they don't have money. So you don't say, because I don't have money, God has forsaken me. What are you talking about? Jesus only used that word when God turned his face away from him on the cross. But when God is with you, he has not forsaken you. Your money has forsaken you. When you open your kitchen, the food has forsaken you. When you open the fridge, (laughs) you can have a fridge that is on, but there's nothing in it. So I don't know what you are chilling. Maybe you are chilling the air inside the fridge. Your fridge has forsaken you. You know, sometimes you're even forgotten that you've consumed everything. So you, you have this mind that, oh, I have some biscuits, in, in, and then you open and you are like, wow, what happened? It means that thing has forsaken you. But when the soldiers came, Jesus did not have money in his pocket. He said, Matthew, Matthew said, me, me cry, I don't, I don't have. He so said, what about you, James? James said, my, my, my money is finished. Ah, Judas, you keep the money. <laughs> Jesus says, we, we spent all yesterday. Are you kidding me? That 13 people, nobody has money. Is it possible? 13 friends, nobody has money. That was when they, they should have said that, no, no, this journey we are going, we won't go again. Some people, when they don't have money, they won't go to church again. When the disciples did not have man, they were still following Jesus. They were listening to teachings. In fact, when Peter was a baby Christian, and he didn't have fish, which was the source of his survival, he offered his boat. That was when he said, sit inside my boat and do church. Inside my boat. I am hungry, but I will listen to your word. That shows that he had this trust in Jesus Christ. So the thing is not a matter of what has finished. It's a matter of where your trust is. If your trust has never been in God, when something around you finish, you will be exposed. That exposure is not that God has not provided for you. That exposure reveals that your trust was never in God. Get back in line. And Jesus said, Peter, go back into the sea. The people who needed money, they were waiting. He went to the sea. They were still waiting. He caught the fish, opened their mouth, brought out the money before they could pay What the old. Say, my God will not leave me. Say, my God will not forsake me. He will not forsake you. The presence of things in your life is not the validation that God is with you. God is with you in abundance or in lack. God is with you. And so far as God is in you, you are in abundance. Have this at the back of your mind. Have this at the back of your mind. Don't allow the economy to control your emotions. Don't allow the economy to control your mood. Don't allow the economy to control you. It's not constant, but your God is constant. Hallelujah. The seventh promise of God is that God will fight for you. Deuteronomy 24. He said, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. You know, there are people that say that, well, someone is working against me. Someone is working against me. Someone is, you know. You don't know the promises of God. See, when we don't know the promises of God, we believe all kinds of things. He didn't even say that when you pray more, I'll go with you. He said, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you. <laughs> to fight for you, he's a fighter against your enemies. So God is fighting. Hallelujah. And if God is fighting, there's no one that can defeat you. Whatever you are going through will not bring you down. Whatever you are going through will not defeat you because God is with you. Believe that. Keep your trust constant. My God is with me. My God is with me. My God is with me. Number three, finally, this is how you trust God. You trust God by knowing God's reliability. One of the ways to trust God is to know that he is reliable. The book of Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. It says, God is not a man (laughs) that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? That's a question to you. Will he not do? is it that you are expecting him to do it at your time? And because you didn't see it happen at your time, you have concluded that he will not do it. You are wrong. Bible says, Let all men be liars, let God be true. He's asking, will he not do? That delay, it doesn't mean it's denial. He's asking, will he not do? So if he hasn't done it, doesn't mean he will not do it. For Abraham, he waited until he was hundred before God did it. God is not a liar, but when you give up on his promise, you have become the liar. He said, oh, has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Will he not make it good? Praise the Lord Jesus. You know, there's someone thinking and saying, Charlie, this economy, the marriage, we have to send it to 2024. (laughs) You know, the moment you calculate your life based on economy, you are waiting for another party to come to power. You you see, you have put your trust in the wrong places. He says, has he spoken and will he not make it good? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is reliable. Let us rely on God. Hallelujah. In the midst of these crises, trust in God. There are three ways to trust in him is what I've given you. Number one, trust in him by knowing him. And I've told you his name, Yahweh. Trust him by knowing him. And you can know him by knowing his name. His name means the one that brings everything into existence. It means that if you put your trust in him, what you lack will be provided. The ever-existing one, Yahweh. You trust in him, number two, by knowing his promises. The more you know his promises, the more you encourage yourself with his promises, the more your trust becomes strong in him. And number three, you trust God by knowing that he's reliable. God is reliable. Hallelujah. God is reliable. He's not a failure. Praise the Lord.